if you would take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Appreciate that song. Father never fails. Luke chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 12 to 17. Luke 9, verse 12. And when the day began to wear away, then came the twelve and said unto him, Send the multitude away, that may go into the towns and country round about and lodge and get victuals, for we are here in a desert place. But he said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they said, We have no more but five loaves and two fishes except we should go and buy meat for all this people. For they were about five thousand men, and he said unto his disciples, Make them sit down by fifties in a company. And they did so, and made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them, and brake, and gave to the disciples to set before the multitude. And they did eat, and were all filled. And there was taken up of fragments that remained to them twelve baskets. I simply titled this, God Can Supply Our Fill. God Can Supply Our Fill. Verse 17 says, and they were all filled. So let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege of ours to meet together here this morning. We thank you for your word. Thank you for the songs that we can sing to lift our voice in praise and worship to thee. And Lord, as we look unto thy word, might we be encouraged and challenged and strengthened in our walk with you. And Lord, if there be any in our midst who have never repented of their sin and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save them from their sin, I pray the Spirit of God will work in their hearts today and bring them to repentance and faith. So have your will and way. May you be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the word fill may, means to make full to capacity to satisfy. The psalmist said in Psalm 23, verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It speaks of satisfaction. As we think about our, our, our text today, uh, you, we understand that God can supply all of our need. God can supply that which we need for everything in life. I want to notice three things from this passage, three simple things. First of all, God is concerned about our every need. Secondly, God can supply our every need. And thirdly, God's means of supply. So first of all, as we consider that God is concerned about our every need. In verse 12 it says, And when the day began to wear away, then came the twelve and said unto him, Send the multitude away. I mean, this is a... This is a a natural, rash, rash, um, logical reasoning that the disciples had. You know, the day's coming to an end. You need to send these people away so they can go get something to eat and go back to their homes. It's logical. Send them away. And, and he and said, and send them all to the way. They may go into the towns and country round about and lodge and get victuals, for we are here in this desert place. Uh, but he said to them, Give ye them to eat. You know, God is, God is concerned about our every need. And, of course, the Lord Jesus here was concerned about these people. 
And, you know, there's many scriptures in the Bible that tell us that God does care and God is concerned about our need. Genesis 29, 32, the Bible says, And Leah conceived and bare a son. She called his name Reuben, for she said, Sure the Lord hath looked on my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. In Exodus 4, 31, the Bible says, And the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, and that he had looked upon their affliction. In other words, God knew of their affliction. He was concerned about their affliction. He looked upon it. Then they bowed their heads and worshipped. Deuteronomy 26, 7, When we cried unto the Lord God of our fathers, the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. In Jeremiah 31, 28, the Bible says, And it shall come to pass that like as I watched over them, God watched over them, to pluck up and to break down and to throw down and to destroy and to afflict. You know, they were in rebellion against him, and God was watching all this. You know, God notices everything about us. And he was watching all this, and so he, he, he sent them into affliction and, and, and distress because of it, into captivity. But he says, so will I watch over them in their captivity to build and to plant, saith the Lord. Psalm 78, verse 30, 38 says, but he being full of compassion. God is a God that's full of compassion. He cares. He's concerned. Being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity, and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away, and didst not stir up all his wrath. Psalm 86.15, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. Mark 8, 2, Jesus said, I have compassion on the multitude. Because they now be with me three days and I have nothing to eat. And that's when he fed the 4,000. Luke 7, 13, it says, When the Lord saw her, that was the widow, the widow woman whose, whose child had died, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. And Luke chapter 2 and verse 8, the Bible says, And they were in the same comfort shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is our great shepherd and he watches over us. You know, a shepherd watches over his sheep because he cares for his sheep. He's not a hireling. The hireling fleeth when the wolf cometh. Jesus said, I'm not a hireling. I give my life to the sheep. He's watching over us. He's protecting us. He cares for us. In 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, verse 7, the Bible says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. All your concerns... All your worries, everything that you would fret about, were to cast on him. Because he cares for us. God cares for us. Psalm 27, verse 10, the Bible says, When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. The Lord will take me up. Psalm 103, verse 13, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. The word pitieth means to cherish, to have compassion for, or love for. Psalm 12, 6 and 7, Jesus said, Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So the Lord, fear not, therefore, ye have more value than many sparrows. You know, in the greatest demonstration of concern or care for us, was the sacrifice of Christ on the cross of Calvary. God commended his love toward us 
in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God cares. God has concern. God is concerned about every need. Not just the big things, but the little things. He watches over us, and he's concerned. God is concerned about every, every need. Sometimes you may think, nobody cares about me, but God does. God does. Secondly, God can supply our every need. Verse 13 says, but he said unto them, give ye them to eat. Then verse 17 says, And they did eat, and were all filled, and there was taken up of the fragments that remained to them twelve baskets. Now this, this is truly a miracle of God in supplying a need. But God is a God of miracles. God is in the business of supplying our every need. Now I emphasize the word need. But God does did promise and does promise to supply our needs. Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And there's example after example after example in the word of God of God demonstrating his power over his creation to do what he wills in supplying the needs of his people. You know, our God is the God that can do the impossible. Go to Psalms chapter 78 for a minute. Psalm 78. <clears throat> Some of these things are recorded for us as we consider Israel's history and, and God working, doing the impossible on their behalf. Psalm 78, the Bible says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord, and his strength, and his wonderful works that he hath done. You know, we, we are not to hide these things from our children. You know, we often talk about the stories in the Bible. They're not just stories. They're real accounts of real people whom God undertook and met needs for. Verse 5, For he hath established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. It might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God, refused to walk in his law, and forgot his works and his wonders that he had showed them. Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zone. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through. He made the waters to stand up as in heap. In the daytime also he led them with a cloud, and all night with a light of fire. He clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink out of the great depth. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. And they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God. They said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock that waters gushed out, and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for, this pe for his people? 
Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth. So a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel. Because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation, though he had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven, had rained down manna upon them to eat, and he had given them the corn of heaven. Man did eat angels' food. He sent them meat to the full. He caused an east wind to blow in the heaven, and by his power he brought in the south wind. He rained flesh also upon them as dust and feathered fowls like the sand of the sea, and he let it fall in the midst of their camp round about their habitations, so that it eat and were well filled, for he gave them their desire. And we go on and on and on. You know, the plagues of Egypt to bring up to pass the Exodus, the Red Sea crossing, the drowning of the Egyptians, the miracles in the wilderness, water from the rock, the, you know, the tree that was cast in the, the, to make the bitter water sweet, the manna every day, man ate, ate angels' food, the quails that the Lord brought. The shoes and clothes that wax not old, the crossing of Jordan, the defeat of Jericho, and the Canaanites, and the giants whom the ten spies were afraid of, the sun to stand still so Joshua could finish the battle. Gideon and his 300 men defeating all the, the Midianites, David's victory over Goliath. You know, these are miracles of an omnipotent God whom we claim to trust. You see, you know, Elijah and the widow's oil in the meal. Elijah fed by a raven, the fire falling from heaven, the rain. Elisha healing the waters of Samaria, healing the death in the pot, the destruction of 185 Assyrians in one night by the angel of the Lord. And that angel of the Lord is going to destroy a lot more than 185,000 one day in the battle of Armageddon. Daniel. Provided an alternative to the Babylonian meats. The three delivered to the fiery furnace. Daniel delivered out of the lion's den. And you come to the New Testament and you have the turning of the water into wine. Uh, the healing of the sick. Uh, blind to see. The raising of the dead. The lame to walk. The feeding of the 5,000. The change in the disciples from fearful to fearless. Peter delivered from Herod's prison. Herod is smitten and dies. Saul is converted. Cornelius is saved. Paul left for dead, gets back up, continues his ministry. And Paul and companions, think about it, Paul and his companions are provided for on their missionary journeys before they had direct deposit, internet. But you know, the greatest, greatest miracle of all is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, these are not just stories. They're real accounts of real people like you and I who had a need and the Almighty God provided for those needs. You see, we have a God that can supply our every need. Psalm 84.11 says, The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Genesis 18, 14, you know, the Lord came down and met with Abraham and Sarah, the angel of the Lord. Of course, they were on their way to Sodom, and, and the angel of the Lord said, Sarah's going to have a son. And Sarah laughed. And the Lord said this, Is anything too hard for the Lord? 
at the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. In Numbers 11, you have the Lord tells Moses that he's going to give the children of Israel flesh to eat. Moses said, Lord, how are you going to do it? You're going to slay all the flocks and the herds? I mean, there's two, three million people in the wilderness. You've got to slay all the flocks and herds. And the Lord said, Is the Lord's hands waxed short? Thou shalt see now whether my word shall come to pass or not. And of course, you know, Philippians 4 already quoted it, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You see, we have a God that can supply all our need. And we need to trust him. We need to have faith in him. We need to be willing to depend upon him. But I want you to notice the third thing. This is probably the most important part. God's means of supply. God's means of supply. In Luke chapter 9 again, notice in verse 16 it says, then he took the fish, the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and brake and gave to the disciples and set forth the multitude. So this is the means of supply for 5,000 men. Now, the, the, now uh, uh, Matthew's parallel passage, Matthew 14, 21, says that they had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So, so there were 5,000 men plus women and children. So there may be as many as 10,000 or more at this. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. It just says there was 5,000 men. So the means of supply for these 5,000 men plus women and children was five loaves and two small fishes. John tells us they were small fishes. They were probably bluegills or crappy or something, you know. They weren't tuna. It was a lad's lunch. That's what it was. But that was the means of supply. Now, as we consider this, consider this, I want you to notice two things. First of all, God supplies with obedience with what we have. Through obedience with what we have. In other words, ordinary means. Ordinary means. Notice verse 13 again it says, But he said unto them, Give ye then to eat. And they said, We have no more but five loaves and two fishes, except we should go and buy meat for all this people. So we have no more than five loaves and two fishes. But he says, You give it to them. You use what you have. What you have. You see, we must obey the Lord with what he has given us. Now think about this. In the wilderness, what did they eat? Manna. Where'd they get it? God sent it down, didn't he? It was a miracle of God. You can't grow anything in the wilderness. There weren't supermarkets in the wilderness that they could go to. So what they were sustained by or what they had to eat, God gave them directly as a miracle of God. However, as soon as they crossed the Jordan River and got into the land of Canaan, the Bible tells us that the manna ceased and they ate the corn of the land. You see, when the ordinary would do, 
God stopped the extraordinary. You see, God uses ordinary means to meet our needs. What's the ordinary means? Well, yeah, God's given us a body. And, and the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of God which is in you? And we're to, we're to glorify God in our body and our spirit which are God's? Uh, Romans 12, 1 tells us that we're to yield our bodies a living sacrifice. Now, and we're talking about the body. We're talking about the body and everything that we have that goes along with it. It's to be yielded to God, to glorify God with it. How do we do that practically? By serving. You know what serving is? It's work. It's labor. And so the way that God provides ordinarily for us is through work. God expects us to work. We're to be working, earning a living. You know, Exodus 20 verse 9 says, Six days shalt thou labor. Now we, we often put the emphasis on and the seventh day we're to rest. No, six days we're to labor. We might say there's two commands in that verse. We're to work six days and we're to rest one. Psalm 128 verse 2 says, For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Hey, if you work, if you earn, uh, uh, and can provide for yourself, it'll bring happiness, it'll bring joy, in your, it'll bring satisfaction in your life. The most, some of the most miserable people I know on the face of this earth are people that are lazy, that will not work, and they complain about everything. And you and I's tax dollars provide what they have. They're miserable. Why? Because they have no dignity. There's no honor in welfare. Proverbs 10.16, the labor of the righteous tendeth to life, the fruit of the wicked to sin. Proverbs 14.23, in all labor there is profit, but the talk of lips tendeth only to penury. Second, go to Second Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourself from every brother that walketh disorder and not after the tradition which he received of us. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither do we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we command you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. We hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now then that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. You know, somebody that's not willing to work is a candidate for church discipline, according to this passage. Now, 
Your laziness or slothfulness, as the Bible calls it, is a sin. It's a sin. It's a spiritual problem. What are Proverbs? Proverbs chapter 12. You know, and it's a great, it's a, it's a great, a, a, a great sin of our day. Uh, one of the great evils of our day. Proverbs 12, chapter 12, verse 24. You know, the mindset of a lot of millennials is the world owes them. You know where they got that mindset? From their parents. Who spoiled them? Made them a bunch of brats. Anyway, uh, Proverbs 12, 12, verse 24. The hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. Verse 27. The slothful man roasteth not that which he took in hunting, but the substance of a diligent man is precious. Chapter 18, verse 9. Chapter 18, verse 9. He also that is slothful in his work is brother to him that is a great waster. Chapter 21, verse 25. The desire of the slothful killeth him. You know, they, they have desires. They're always in want. They're never satisfied. Uh, the desire of the slothful killeth him, for his hands refuse to labor. Chapter 24 and verse 30. And I'm not looking at all of them, but this is, this is a good... It says, I went by the field of the slothful, and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding, and lo, it was all grown over with thorns, and nettles had covered the face thereof, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well, and looked upon it, received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and they want as an armed man. And then chapter 26, verse 12, it says, Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There is more hope of a fool than him. The slothful man saith, There is a lion in the way. A lion is in the streets. As the door turneth upon his hinges, so doth the slothful upon his bed. The slothful hideth his hand in his bosom. It grieveth him to bring it again to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. You know, a, a sluggard is wise in his own conceits. They can always give an excuse as to why they can't work. They always have a reason. And they think it's a good one. But it's just that. It's an excuse. You know, Ephesians chapter 4, Bible tells us, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor. Young people understand something. It is stealing to sponge off your parents or the government. It's stealing. And this is one of the great evils of our nation, destroying our homes, it's destroying our churches, it's destroying our nation. You see, its tentacles have far-reaching effects, I believe. It's selfishness. It leads to an undisciplined life. Many times it leads to poor health caused by slothfulness. You know, most people's attitude is about, it's about me. Marriages become about me, not about the glory of God. So it's become. 
Young people beware not to marry a lazy guy or a lazy girl. Someone who only does what they have to do to get by. Parents, we need to teach our children to work, to learn the discipline of work, to learn the blessing of work. You know, the laboring man, it will be happy. Ephesians 4.28 says, We're to steal no more, but rather let him labor, working his hands, that we may have to give to him that needeth. See, we want to raise, we want to have, we want to be givers and not takers. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Bible tells us. Verse 1 Timothy 5, 8 says, But if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. You see, God expects, and God uses ordinary means most of the time to supply our needs. He's given us bodies that are made and meant to work. Of course, that would include our finances. Again, Ephesians 4.28, we're, we're to labor so that we may have to give to him that need it. Matthew Henry in his commentary said this, those who diligently, diligently attend upon Christ in the way of duty and therein deny or expose themselves or are made to forget themselves and their outward conveniences by their zeal for God's house are taken under his particular care and may depend upon Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. He will not see those that fear him and serve him faithfully want any good thing. Unquote. So God uses obedience, our obedience through ordinary means. Secondly, not only does he use simply simple obedience, but he uses omnipotence. Of course, that means the word means that God has all power. In other words, what, what only God can do. You know, there are times that God will undertake in impossible situations. Now, it's interesting to me, in verse, verse uh, 16 and 17 here it says, then he took the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and break, and gave to the disciples and to set before the multitude. And they did eat, and were all filled, and there was taken up of the fragments that remained to them twelve baskets. So God took, the God in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, took what was given by the lad the disciples had gotten, he took that, and he multiplied it. And he multiplied it. And he multiplied it. And he multiplied it. And he multiplied it, and he multiplied it, and he multiplied it, multiplied it, until it fed possibly as many as 10,000 or 15,000 people. One commentator said, quote, No one knew where this bread actually came from. Jesus showed that God can provide it out of resources that we cannot see or perceive in any way. It is easier to have faith when we think we know how God might provide. But often, God often provides in unexpected and undiscoverable ways. Unquote. Now, so God took what they had and he multiplied it. 
and multiplied it and multiplied it and multiplied it. Think about the miracles in Egypt. The miracles in Egypt were with things that were there. Flies, lice, frogs, fish, water. You know, I don't know if this is always true, but I got to think about it. You know, more times than not, that's the way it is. God uses what's there. Elijah being fed with the widow's oil and the meal. And the oil never wasted and the meal never ran out. He just extended it, extended it, extended it, extended it, extended it. Jesus turned water to wine. See, God can take what we have and multiply it and multiply it and multiply it and multiply it. Now you say, well, preacher, I know that was good in the Old Testament. I know that was good in Bible times. But is it really true today? You know, the lady's just saying, God never fails. And the song we sang earlier, yesterday, today, and forever, Jesus is the same. Of course, that came right out of Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. God can still work miracles. And he still does. I think I've shared this with you before. But this was in the Winter Harvest magazine. I think it's the paper of the Baptist Mid-Missions. It was the year 1999 and 2000. And the article goes like this. The Liberia Civil War in West Africa was leaving its mark on yet another innocent family. After three months of being forced to harvest all ten acres of his rice field under the guns of soldiers, Pastor Emanuele understood the soldiers' intention clearly. They would leave nothing for his family. What would happen to them? Weren't the beatings and the looting enough? Nine children and not a kernel of rice for the year. How could they live without rice, the staple of their diet? The palm cabbage would not last forever. Desperate, Pastor Colley made plans to close down the Bible school he taught and leave the area. After all, they had to eat. However, after calling together the students for a meeting, he just couldn't do it. He felt God would have him stay and just trust him. So he, his family, and the students prayed for God's supply. And then the snails came. The big ones, sometimes with shells four or five inches across. Of course, there had always been some snails, but never in such profusion. The mission property was literally crawling with them. The family would go out to gather, and each step would yield a snail. All they had to do was reach and pick it up. And what to do with all these snails? Well, the same thing the Israelites did with their manna. They thought of every possible way to prepare it. Snail with cassava leaf, boiled snails, snails with anything else edible, and they were very tasty. But can one family eat that many snails? No, but they can surely sell or trade them for other things, things like rice, things like clothes. And so they carried to market on their heads their bags full of snails. When the Israelites entered the promised land, the manna stopped just as suddenly as it had started 40 years earlier. The need was no longer there. So it was with Pastor Colley and his family. When the next year's rice harvest was safely in, the snails were gone. This was 1999. But I can give you illustrations closer home than that. I was talking to Brother Forney when he was here about the shawls in Greenland. You know, and you remember probably about how their first son that was born in Greenland, you know, the, st- the church or the 
government said that he has to be christened in the state church. And of course, you know, it, they they didn't have to do that. But anyway, here here late here the in the last year or two years. Anyway, they, they you know they had purchased a building to have church in. They also lived in part of it. Well. They were becoming crowded in that, so they began to look for a house separate from this building so they could devote the whole building to a church. And they couldn't find it. It's very hard to buy a house in Greenland. So they decided that maybe they could purchase a kit, have it shipped to Greenland, and built on site. And so they, 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 they decided on a, a design they liked, but they found it was going to be not going to be cost effective, so they decide not to do that. Well, just, I don't know what the time frame was, but sometime later this house became available, on, I think it's on Main Street in town. They went to look at it. It is the exact design they had looked at to purchase, and they were able to purchase it. Brother Forney said, Brother Shaw, I don't know if you should tell that story to everybody. I don't know if they'll believe you. See, God can still work miracles. He can still work. She came with Morgan said, quote, In a remarkable way, the feeding is a parabolic illustration of the method by which those who serve him are to reach the needs of humanity. Their duty is to yield all they have to him and then to obey him, no matter how mere prudence and worldly wisdom may question the method, unquote. See, God can still do the impossible. Our problem is we're a generation that is visually focused. We want to see it. We want to see it. We're fearful or fretful of the unknown. What might happen? We are, I know this doesn't sound as nice, but we are self-reliant. We're like Laodicea. We have everything that we need, and we can know where it's coming from, and really we have need of nothing. You know, people will say, well, what will happen if I get saved? What will happen if I obey his word? Will God expect me to do something I do not want to do? Will, will I have to give up? And you fill in the blank. See, it's not that God can't. So often it's, it's that we don't give God the opportunity to. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, the Bible says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. In John eleven forty, at the grave of Lazarus, Jesus had told Martha that he was the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he said, believest thou this? 
And she said, yeah, Lord, I, I believe it. Thou art the resurrection. And I, I know that, you'll, that he will raise up at the last day. And so when he comes to the grave and he tells them to roll the stone away, Martha says, he, he's been dead four days and he stinks. Jesus said, said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. See, too often we don't see miracles. We don't see God do the impossible because we really don't believe he will. We think we have to work it out. That's what Psalm 4 2, 2 means when it says, O you sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love vanity and seek after leasing? The word leasing simply means lying. God said he would provide our every need if we will simply trust him and obey him. Even though it may look impossible. God can furnish a table in the wilderness. And God can supply all your need to the full. The question is, how much faith do you have? How big is your God?